0: Not that much significant changes. And 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 obviously you can go down to specific villages, onesies and twosies. You can highlight areas where maybe the Russians have advanced, maybe seized a village or not. But then, you know, the Ukrainians conduct a counterattack. So really what we're seeing is at a static front. And I believe U.S. officials today in a back brief uh, to uh, uh, Western reporters mentioned one of the officials said, you know, it looks like it's stalled. And, and we ran into a very similar situation in uh, uh, when Russia invaded and was prioritizing the northern front, Sumy, uh, Chernihiv, and specifically Kiev, you know, we did see that there was this stall of defenses that they just couldn't continue to push. And I think you as the said, and I think that is basically correct, right? We're not seeing huge successful operations I- from the Russians and the Donbass. Um, and po- like, if you look at the southern part of the JFO area, you know, so if you look at north of Mariupol, right, and in, in more into kind of the Donetsk city region, the Russians have not had any significant investment, advancements, right? And I think everybody, a lot of the analysis and all the, the, the commentary was there's going to be this encirclement, right? So for an encirclement, you, you need a southern front, and there has just been no advances. You look at Izum, not much progress. I mean, at most, we're talking about a couple of kilometers a day. And so the, the Donbass area is very static, um, and again, I think the the right term. I think it's appropriate to use is the Russian offensive stalled, where we're seeing a lot of territorial change, is to the north in Kharkiv, where Ukraine has managed to seize significant amount of territory, up to forty kilometers. Right? And I think there was a specific city in, in the Kharkiv Oblast called Moldova, not to be confused with the country. There's a city there called Moldova in, in Kharkiv Oblast, right there at right there at the river of the Donetsk River. Right, the Ukrainians yesterday seized that city, you know, that town, and, and you can see a video of Ukrainian soldiers planting a flag there. And that's significant, right, because that, that almost indicates that the Kharkiv front, from the Russian point of view, has almost collapsed. We saw something similar at the beginning of this war in uh, uh, Cherniv, when the Ukrainians from Kiev pushed northeast, pushed the Russians back. Uh, 40 kilometers, and that was kind of the first indication that we all were kind of talking about. It's like, okay, we're, we're the, the northern front can collapse. So, why is Kharkiv important for and related to the JFO area? Because it enables the Ukrainians. Now they have the Russians have the Donetsk River, right? That's a natural barrier that prevents the the, the Ukrainians from pushing further east. It's it's harder for the Ukrainians to push east crossing the river. Anybody who's served in the military know one of the most dangerous military operations you could do in land is what we call the wet gap crossing. That's basically crossing a river, right? As a very, very complicated labor-intensive, logistic-intensive, engineer-intensive operation. It's very, very dangerous. That's when your weakest point, because you have to funnel your forces through one basic bridge and then push forward. However, the Ukrainians can still affect the supply lines from Izum, right? Because there's a highway east of the Donetsk River that goes down and there's rails that goes down and connects Russia to IZUM, where the Russians have really prioritized their resupply operations. The Ukrainians can you know, get to a point where they can start having effects on those supply lines and disrupt those supply lines with their long-range artillery. So it would be very interesting to see if we start seeing M777s in, 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 in for example, Moldova, right? So, to kind of have an impact. It's almost at the limits of its. Uh, the, a lot of those roads and highways is at the max effective range of m triple seven but they can still have some sort of impact in those areas. Uh, also, if Kharkiv becomes basically secure for the Ukrainians, that frees up combat power that they can commit in other areas and maybe recommit to the northern northwest front of Izum and still affect those lines, right? So looking at Kharkiv and how that plays out, I think is very important in analyzing Donbass because it looks like the Donbass, again, is going to be stalled. And it's, it doesn't look like there's going to be that much territorial change. I mean, there might be, but nothing significant as, like a strategic victory. The key point then, I think, is Kharkiv and then how the Ukrainians take advantage of the situation and how they're taking the initiative there and then how they affect the areas in the Donbass. And that's the main place I'm looking for.
1: All righty. Let's go.
2: show his hand up, then just a Joe. For sure, you're up. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, uh, there was a lot of questions. I've Forgot uh, like most of them. Uh, and my comments. Are, <laughs> yeah, uh, short term memory. Uh, so I'd like to thank for the invite, but I, I'm not going to flee because uh, my family is like a dog and a bicycle. And I stay to work and pay, pay taxes, you know, shop at the uh, shops um, to. Somehow rotate money in the economy, so it won 't collapse, uh, so the country uh, continue to leave uh, i don 't tweet in English, so uh, thanks for following but uh, you you won 't get any understandable content uh, maybe i 'll tweet a link uh, uh, tweet, a tweet with a link uh, to some volunteering organizations uh cause uh, there is the biggest foundations uh, foundation it's called come back alive uh that provide uh uh zsu is like the ukrainian army uh, armed forces of ukraine which are really the most professional and uh you know armed uh and well equipped forces uh um, yeah, and just so you know for sure uh,
1: before we had Maria Aid, and before we had like the NGO set up, we actually were um, fundraising for Comeback Alive for like a month and a half, and we raised millions for them just through the room. Um, and then uh, we, um, we that, that's Everyone it, who because, was doing it because a lot of us, everyone uh, who has the relationship with the Ukrainian army, we decided to uh, do our own <clears throat> Maria Aid to get specific equipment to different units on the ground. So we, we have a relationship with Tara Schmutz from Comeback Alive as well, just so everyone's aware. Uh, great organization, uh, and uh, we love them very much. So it's full disclosure, uh, they're not uh, unknown to us.
2: Uh, doing great work. Thank you so much. I was because- actually going to
3: ask about that. Yehuda, uh, yeah. I remember from the first couple of weeks when we were in here, uh, Maria Aid didn't exist yet and Come Back Alive was still in Ukrainian only, and they rapidly transitioned to uh, creating an English language website. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, uh, Maria Aid was born. But yeah, uh,
1: so the reason why, just so you know, so first of all, we were sending a lot of people to come back alive, but A, they couldn't translate and they had a lot of problems with the English speakers. And B, a lot of North Americans wanted to see like proof, like things that that was going on. So come back alive people are in the middle of a war zone. So it was getting a little weird for us to say, hey, can you take a bunch of pictures as we're delivering it? You know what I mean? It just says like, hey, guys. Like we don't have time, so we wanted mm-hmm. to try to capitalize on showing the transparency, the North American market that wants to see like from start to finish what their dollar does. We thought, hell, if we do it at Maria Aid, we're we're here in North America. We know what the the people here want to see, and we're doing the same thing. At the end of the day, they're getting the goods. So there are people that I'll be honest, there are people that are, who are you? We don't trust you. Okay, no problem. You trust? Come back I'll have you. Yes. Okay, send money there. Done. Right. So we don't care. It goes to the same place at the end. Thank God. Um, But yeah, no, thank you for that. And we, uh, we appreciate it Uh, for sure. We're just going to go to Justin Joe and we'll circle back. If you have more to add, go ahead.
4: Hey, everybody. Um, I saw an article today uh, that said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe it said that the Pope wants to meet with the head of the Russian Eastern Orthodox Church, and the headline said don't be putin's altar boy and i kind of glanced at it and skimmed over it and listening to this conversation you know with andre feeling powerless to affect a change in his own country and looking at the choice of whether to stay and deal with it or to go and find a life uh, better elsewhere and with the diplom you know the ukrainians have tried diplomatically to get the Russians at a table and the Russians make excuses or they shy away. Um, I got, I kind of got fascinated with the idea, could the Pope sway the masses or could he work with, and I can't remember the gentleman's name and I apologize. I'm not trying to offend any Eastern Orthodox uh, folks, but... Could that affect a change? Do you believe that if the Pope ever got an audience with that person, <laughs> just, that they could,
5: just, they just could
4: sway the never, masses?
5: The Pope's never saw it in this. Sorry, I just, I just, I, the Pope's never saw it in this. And it's it's not even about the Pope. The problem that uh, the scenario that just Joe suggested um, it could work if, if only if. The individual that just Joe mentioned, the leader of Russian Orthodox Church, was interested in uh, in uh, in spiritual things, in religion or in God in the first place. However, Russian Orthodox Church it's uh, it's about different things. It's about control. It's about propaganda. It's about imposing a layer of propaganda via religion and via religious channels onto people. And in Ukraine, it's essentially a network of uh, FSB assets or a second network of FSB assets in Ukraine. And their leader, their religious leader that you mentioned, Patriarch, mm -hmm. Patriarch, Kirill, is a high-ranking FSB slash KGB official who reports directly to Putin. So it's not about church, it's not about religion, it's about control, vertical organization Mm -hmm. of a structure which uh, technically Mm -hmm. calls themselves a church but in reality it's just another level of autocratic influence and brainwashing and the article mm -hmm. actually said the article said that he
1: wanted to he won't meet with Kirill he'll meet with he wants to meet with Putin and he admonished Kirill I did read that
4: too I Sorry to interrupt. I did read yeah, that, too, where it. he would like a face, face-to-face face time with Putin, but I don't think Putin would ever, would ever do it. But I Putin guess doesn't care darn
1: about him. Doesn't care darn about the Pope.
4: Well, I guess my takeaway is that, from what I heard from Walter and yourself, is that the hierarchy of the church in that part of the world is, I mean... They're beholden to the Kremlin. Okay. The reason I ask that question is because being an American... <laughs> um you know we have a lot of legislation or a lot of grassroots organizations that start from the pulpit even though there's supposed to be a separation of church and state and i kind of got fascinated with the idea that could the pope in rome reach out to his equivalent with the eastern orthodox and say hey you need to do something you need to sway your congregation so I'll be quiet because I have a teenager yelling at me. Yeah, so one you're talking about the papa, and the her should talk about her papa.
1: Papa is Pope in Italian. Okie doke. Well, just just a Joe's in trouble. So let's go over to. We got Alex Matai, Leonard Cohen, and Toshi Hakagura. Get your hands up so we know you want to talk, my friends. Uh, who's up next?
6: Oh, thank Orion.
3: you, Ryan. To Justin's point, uh, the Pope carries about as much weight as the Dalai Lama does in Russia. Uh, Catholicism is a significant minority sect, essentially, within Russia. Uh, Eastern Orthodoxy is is much more common. But even with that, uh, the Pope is—he's not a nobody, he's the Pope—but— uh, as I said before, he's got about as much chance as the Dalai Lama does of solving oh. this conflict.
1: So so, so the Pope, it's not because there's very few Catholics in, in Russia that, that he's not important. It's just the Pope is a very important global figure. Just that Putin doesn't care for the Pope just like he doesn't care for Macron or Erdogan or Bennett or any of the people who've tried to mediate. That's the key. Nothing to do with the flavor of Christianity.
3: Well, if if you go take a look at just demographic numbers, uh, like CIA World Factbook or Wikipedia... No, I, I know how many Catholics are in Russia. Yeah, yeah. It, what I'm, I'm saying not saying is is irrelevant. there's less of them there than there are in, in other parts of Europe but it's not like we're talking oh, there about are. Italy here. <laughs>
1: no, no, there are there are significantly less catholic. I mean, like I probably can't imagine there being more than 5 or 10% catholics of Christians and of all Christians or, in Russia. So it's a negligible number. He's not going as a representative of Russian catholics. He'd be going as a representative of a billion 900 million catholics worldwide that could affect policies and politics in those in their respective countries. That's that's where his power comes from, not not from the catholics in Russia.
3: Fair, fair. So, that's my and point. He, Putin's already evidence that he has no interest in what the rest of the world thinks. Uh, I think the nope. last 70 days have made that very clear.
1: 22 years. Last 22 years. Fair I enough. made that clear. Yep. no worries. Right. Kevin Array. Kevin, you had your hand up. You go for it.
7: Hello. Uh, can you guys hear me?
5: Hard and clear. All
7: right. Uh, I have two questions. Yesterday, I was hearing you guys' podcast about... Uh, the drones drones i'm sorry the uh the the i yeah sorry drones uh nathan was uh was talking about it um is there any is there any chance that there's going to be a futuristic war with it like more than more than just dropping bombs because i i seen i seen a drone carrying a bomb like a like one of those mortar bombs and it's just landed on inside of a vehicle uh but other than that, it's it's just it's uh, it's absurd because my son has a has a drone and I'm, you know, seeing all this and it kind of it kind of terrifies me that you know we're gonna be using uh, not only technology but like kids' toys as warfare and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's something that really gets me concerned about. They've
3: been dropping
7: bombs from dji drones since
3: 2016 uh it happened in iraq a long time ago nothing yeah. here.
7: yeah it's just that uh since you know i'm I'm not connected to social media and stuff and since since this is happening uh, i've connected myself into uh twitter uh facebook and stuff like that but seeing all of this i'm like it's it's really absurd i mean i i've, I've been off for since 2013 uh, out of my uh high school year and uh yeah, it's it's uh, without social media, it, it feels great and stuff like that. But when I'm hearing about Ukraine, uh, uh Russia declaring war with uh, Ukraine, it's and seeing all these videos and stuff like that, and uh, I'm really concerned about it. And yeah, the 2016—that's pretty crazy that they started it on that.
0: You—you you mind if I jump it on this one? Go right ahead. Sorry about that. Hey, so. Uh, Kevin, you know, Ryan set up a good point, right? The first time we saw weaponized drones was ISIS in Iraq. Same normal commercial available drones first for surveillance, and then they started dropping munitions. Very common, very typical. Uh, You know, I've seen it. I cover mostly Mexico. Cartels use it extensively for also offensive operations. They do attacks with it. And it's just natural that in Ukraine and Russia use the same way. What the Ukrainians have been able to do very effectively is because, again, I mean, this is a Russian invasion to Ukraine. This is their sovereign territory. So it's, you know, the Ukrainian people have kind of responded to this. And and the ability then to basically have access to commercial drones, a lot of it probably prior civilian hands, a lot of them sent over, has allowed the Ukrainians to really utilize all types of drone from your most, you know, sophisticated that the Ukrainians have, which is the TB2 Turkish drone, to a similar drone than what your son might utilize, and utilize it either for reconnaissance or to conduct strikes against Russians, right? And, and I mean, just flat out, I mean, that is the f- future aspect of warfare. Uh, drone, um, it, utilization of drones has a lot of benefits, uh, costs, saving lives. You know, it's not as a big deal if you lose a drone than if you lose, a, a, a let's say, a, a MiG-29. And so it allows you to take more and more and more aggressive stances and operations very effectively. And the Ukrainians have done a very good job of utilizing drones to conduct strikes across the the, across ukraine and even into russia right and so again it's the future of warfare we're going to see more and more and more of this and uh commercial drones is very accessible and is being widely distributed around the world for nefarious reasons and that's just the the nature of warfare now
7: all right i guess that answers a, a lot of questions on that one um second question uh i forgot what is that word called but i accidentally created one back then um Electronic magnetic pulse. I guess short-term words is EMP. Uh, when I was when I was a uh, ten, eleven years old, I was messing around with my uh, my dad's uh, jam jam radar from. Uh, I guess he had it on as a Mitsubishi Lancer. Uh, you know, like cops, you know, street racing and stuff like that. But uh, when I uh, when I got my hands on it and started messing around with it, I there's this. Um, it sounds it sounds so scientific and stuff like that, but for some reason I was messing around with the wires and stuff, and my whole living room just like went shut off just because I ended up triggering a uh, a wire with it. And since I grew uh, since I was growing up a little bit more, I understand that what uh, what uh, what I made, which is the electronic magnetic pulse, um, yeah, you, people- you
3: tripped a breaker. You didn't set off an EMP with your dad's radar detector. I'm highly confident
7: of that. But what but what was it because I'm really like blue. You up. know I
1: hate to tell you it was probably black magic.
3: Oh wow. Well. <laughs> That's a joke from earlier today. If you weren't here you don't get it.
7: <laughs> uh, but anyways, um yeah. Electronic magnetic poles, is it going to be used uh, through warfare, too, as well, or no? No. um, There's research and
3: anti-drone weapons already being deployed in Ukraine. They exist. um, They're more radio frequency and microwave-directed beams. Um, They look like toy guns out of... um, Oh, yeah, I've seen those, yeah. ...base force but uh, it's just a directed radio frequency that kind of uh, drowns out whatever direction they're receiving from a controller nearby. Uh, The military's got some other things going on, I'm sure, uh, to mitigate threats from drones, so don't worry about your kid being able to uh, turn his DJI into a bomb.
7: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. Thanks very much and uh thank you
6: sure. guys. Thank you. Go ahead, Toshi. Yes, I'd like to point out to the, to the oh uh about the 3D printer of the uh I I saw in T V in Japan uh some uh volunteers uh, try to make uh, parts of the for example attachment for, or or tails of the bomb uh by uh, 3D printer, uh, output. So, uh, I think in, uh, if, uh, there are no sort of the 3D printer in, uh, Ukraine, maybe, uh, they are very, uh, take a time to, uh, deliver to the assault of the update parts for the drone in Ukraine. So they,
3: they already are. That's that's how these drones or these videos that we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks of drones dropping munitions onto um, Russians are being done with commercial drones and three D printed parts. Yes, yes. There's there's plans on the internet already. You can download them and print them.
6: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so and uh, I think in uh, maybe Russian general or Vladimir Putin. Uh, three D drone is uh, just only the uh, sort of a gadget, and uh, almost the same as the uh, airplane in uh, World War One. Nobody believed to the such a uh, effective weapon in uh, warfare. So, uh, three D printer is and three uh drone commercial drone is uh, almost is a uh, hmm, wake up uh it. It works in the warfare in the future. Did you, you
1: say dropping a 3D printer from a drone? I, I missed that.
6: Oh no no no! And uh, I thought of the. Uh, I'd like to point out to the the new technology influence to, uh, real world, uh, 3D printer and drone, make the change to the, uh, real uh, real world. He's saying Body.
3: it's a, a paradigm shift in warfare just like the plane was for World War One and World wow. War II.
1: Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Thank you. Hundred uh, percent. I we agree. Thank you, Toshi. Uh Haider, Haydar, uh, yeah. we got it we got a, yeah, hold yeah, on. Sure. We got just one second. So Leonard and and other people, if you're in the in the room, please raise your hand. We had Andy Darlington earlier, didn't raise her hand. If you got your hand, if you're in here, please raise your hand so we can get you talking. Go ahead, Hader. You can go ahead, Hader.
8: Yeah. So uh, I just, I just wanted to ask that um, I've heard, I've, I've seen a lot of people come and go, make their argument, and uh, I had questions for them, but they just went away. But uh, someone earlier in this conversation said that uh, you know, United States was is. Is a is a great power and supposed to be held to a um, higher standard of morality. I just want to ask that uh, you know why is it that um, United States could not gauge uh, the geopolitical risk and the risk of war by you know wanting Ukraine to be a part of NATO. And um, uh, you know, make trying to make it part of Europe. And why? Why did this this miscalculation happen? And, um, and mm. what What's That's behind all this?
1: Who knows? What What do you think's behind it? Is there a shadowy group of people that are behind it? You
8: think? No, I don't know. I'm like I'm like ask, asking you people. No, and I'm just asking you if you weren't, you have they any weren't ideas? supposed to do that. They have they have the United States has some really great analysts and mm-hmm. like from a geopolitical standpoint No, so
1: hold on. We like heard your question. Oil so we, standpoint. We heard your cool story. Listen, I heard your I heard your point of view. I'm asking you some questions. So I'm trying to determine how to answer your, your question. Let's try it again. Who do you think is responsible for this uh
8: move? Go ahead. Well, um, I I do think that um, now Russia is responsible for this, and it's it, it is an irresponsible country that is headed by a dictator. But why is it that United States wasn't able to? Yeah, hold on. let Lord Almighty,
1: Lord Almighty. Let's ask that you you said that I'm tracking. I understand. I think everyone understands. You said it now three times. Yeah, I'm asking: Is there? You said. Is there a group of people that you think are responsible for leading the U.S. to make this decision, to make bad decisions, in your opinion, of trying to make Ukraine a part of Europe, which it already is, but let's just say we'll take your, your knowledge there, um, What before trying to not waste your time or mine. So what what are you trying to get at? Spit it out, man. So,
8: so the thing is that I have heard that the uh, United States has been wanting Ukraine to become a part of NATO for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and it's it's just that it, sh- it should have known that you know Russia is a nuclear powered country, and Russia has been saying that to uh, United States that I don't want it, mm-hmm. and still they went ahead and uh, okay. you know try to make uh, Ukraine a part of NATO, and you know okay. risk all that war. There could have been a, a a better solution to right. all of this, like legal
1: solution. Like- legal, what's illegal yeah. about what's From the legal- standpoint
8: okay. of
1: international okay. law? And- okay, so I do, I'm afraid you don't know what international law is. I will, uh, I will answer your question. Okay, so first of all, it's very patronizing and insulting to the people and government of Ukraine for you to say that America wanted to drag. He didn't say drag, me. you hinted that day. They, they're the ones that wanted Ukraine to be in NATO. Ukraine wanted to be in NATO. I don't know if you're aware of that. Ukraine has had NATO troops training it for eight years. Why? Because it wants to be in NATO. Now, I know in your worldview, you think Ukrainians are stupid monkeys or something, and they need the big old bad Americans to tell them. And I see how you dress it up with your nice words. Just asking questions. Why would Why would all the smart people at the State Department push for... NATO to be, to Ukraine to be a part of NATO, and then you said of Europe too, because apparently it's not a part of Europe, it's obviously it's a part of Europe. Um, The reality is this is more of the Russian talking points and propaganda that filter out to Pakistan and India and parts of Africa, that this is all NATO's fault. If only NATO hadn't hadn't offered, hadn't followed its constitution or its uh, founding document which says that they will accept applications for who'd like to join for security. Um, if only, if only NATO didn't push themselves on Ukraine. This there would be peace, and Putin would be exporting rainbows and unicorns to all over the world, and everyone would be happy. La 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 la. Planet like uh, like uh, this is ridiculous nonsense. Um, Ukraine wanted to be a part of NATO. Ukraine already is European. And guess what they said? They said we're sick and tired of years and years, seventy years of Soviet. Or 60 years of Soviet rule. We want to f- be a free and independent country. We're not interested in your neo Russian, neo Soviet perspective. Um, I could have given a million examples to the fellow, but I just, you know what? People are mad at me for, for feeding the trolls, so I'll stop. So the reality is Ukraine has agency. It's an independent country. If they say they want to join NATO, Russia can't tell it not to join NATO, period. Russia can't tell it to join NATO. It's like it's like saying we demand that Pakistan stop trading with China. We don't like what China's doing. China, you better. And then when Pakistan trades with China, the U.S. invades it, and say it's your fault, Pakistan. You you just traded with China. Why did you trade with China? If only you didn't do what we asked. If you did what we asked, we wouldn't have invaded you. That's ridiculous talk. It's blaming the victim for for the aggressor's actions. Crazy town. I'm not the mayor today of that. So. No, thank you for this silly comment. We're going to go to Leonard and then we're going to go to Jacob. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Can
9: you hear me okay? Sure can. Go ahead. Okay, super. Um, so first of all, uh, I was going uh, to uh, raise a different issue, but uh, I'd like to commend Yehuda for the, the vast patience that you're showing with with regard to some of these totally off-the-wall inquiries and I don't know if if some of these in, some of these individuals like the last speaker were uh, simply Russian trolls or where they get their information or even what their game is here. But uh, I'd certainly like to commend Yehuda for the uh, you're displaying the patience of Job in terms of dealing with some of these uh, these. While well, I may may venture and say to call them time wasters, but. Uh, Uh, regardless of that so kudos to you Yehuda and then uh, secondly I wanted to uh, uh, just reference briefly a point that was raised by all source and I don't know if all source is still there but uh, regardless um, all source firstly I'd like to say that uh, the the work you do the illumination you bring to the site and the expertise that you display with regard to all of your OSINT and, and other intelligence matters is, is absolutely amazing um, and, and useful uh, beyond, beyond description. So, uh, in other words, I, would, I, I try to make a point of being on any time uh, all sources is, is speaking. And I find it's just a vast treasure trove of, of information that is simply available nowhere else. And I haven't seen any other source anywhere that uh, serves up that kind of a valuable insight so uh, kudos to all source as well uh, and then uh, just to conclude Thanks. I really appreciate that man yeah well uh, i think you're doing great work man and i don't know uh, what the whole scope and horizon of your activities is but certainly on the ukraine man it is it's invaluable so all i can all i can say there is just keep it up uh, you're doing great work uh, and then, um, finally, I was just going to make a reference to you, you had uh, started off regarding Kharkiv. And that, uh, I mean, your military analysis, I find excellent also. But, um, as, as you may or may not know, I'm, I'm located in Alberta. And although I'm not Ukrainian, um, being in Alberta, of course, I've, I've, uh, uh Literally through schooling and uh, business associates, and um, pretty much every walk of life, uh, you're I've been uh, dealing with and associated with, and so on. Many many Ukrainians. I mean, uh, the Ukrainians are a, a very vital component of the the population in Alberta. Um, but uh, on that point, I just mentioned that with regard to Kharkiv. Some of my, and, and I'm not an expert on this, but I, I'm I'm very interest. Uh, I have a very keen historical um, interest. So, one thing I did learn from uh, some of my Ukrainian associates is with reference to Kharkiv, and I'm told that uh, in addition to to what you mentioned, as far as a military, uh, a vital military, um, um, tar- not target, but uh, Objective or whatever in in terms of the Russians. uh, I'm told it's also a very important cultural um, icon within the Ukrainian um, uh, polity. And I'm told that uh, the historical significance goes literally back to the 1400s. And uh, further, that Kharkiv was actually the capital of the Ukraine SSR. Uh, so immediately after the Russian Revolution, Kharkiv was actually the capital of, of Ukraine for a number of years. And I know they've uh, they've got excellent universities. Um, they've got a university that was founded apparently in 1805, which is like 100 years before the University of Alberta. And they've produced Nobel Prize winners, um, again, I'm told in 1905, which is is about 20 years before the first uh, University of Alberta Nobel Prize winner was produced. So um, they've got a big, a a deep, deep, um, I would say intellectual and cultural well there that is probably of great significance to the Ukrainian population there today. And and I'm sure well worth fighting for. Uh, So the fact, I mean, it sounds like from the military outlook, They've done an excellent uh, job pro- and very likely preserved Kharkiv and are going on the offensive now. So um, I would submit that's a very, uh, very vital, important consideration to the whole Ukrainian population. And uh, kudos to them and kudos to the fighters and everybody who's preserved uh, Kharkiv and uh, Slab Ukraine. So with that, I'll sign off. And thank nice. you again for this great site.
1: Thank you, Leonard. And that's a great uh, thank you. I always, God bless most of our Canadians here. We're pretty nice, decent people. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Jacob. And then WTF, what WTH we're going to call you, because it's a family space. Go ahead, Jacob. Thanks, Yehuda.
10: I just, uh, I was hearing the speaker before our last speaker ask the questions. And. Um, I just, I don't know, I felt like I wanted to say something about it. Yeah, yeah I
1: know. Say something. He's coming up. He, just so you know, just before I cut him off, uh, and I feel bad. Cause I'm what was Canadian. his name again? Hater. He's right here. He wants to speak. We'll let him up in a second. He was going to finish by saying, it's almost a script, I can tell you, verbatim. It's against international law for Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, and I was just waiting for Israel and the Illuminati and the Bilderbergs oh to pop up. So it's, it's something we see oh a lot we'll go for a joke after but if you want to address it
9: quickly yeah, 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 yeah. and then
1: we're going to go to more <clears throat> pertinent ones so um uh,
10: okay so uh, to hater to hater's points this is um what i what what occurred to me the first is hater that you stated as a premise in your question the the false premise that i think everyone here wants to challenge you on which is you know why didn't u.s know it was this mistake but of course you're, you're assuming you know, that, that that the mistake that you're pointing to is a mistake and you had an awful lot wrapped up in it uh namely that i, th- I think that you put it this way that nato was just gunning just gunning to get ukraine into the alliance just to but start you, a war with russia of course <laughs> right, right right but if you really just i mean like I guess you could start with Wikipedia's page on NATO-Ukraine relations or you could go to NATO's website itself to kind of see the historical relationship between uh, the alliance on the one hand and uh, Ukraine on the other. You'd see that since the mid-90s, there's been this back and forth uh, dialogue between NATO on the one hand and Ukraine, where at various times... They've made moves toward uh, not 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 uh, Ukraine joining the alliance at the outset, but moves towards partnership um, where uh, Ukraine participates in some NATO activities and moves away where at periods of time uh, Ukraine just the people of Ukraine didn't have an interest in it. They entered into multiple agreements that were short of Ukraine becoming a member of NATO. And there's a lot of reasons for this, Um, namely that the NATO member states wanted to see certain changes inside of Ukraine before before Ukraine could be considered for membership. And so we, we arrive at the early part of 2022 with Ukraine desperately wanting to be in NATO because there's a disgusting, oppressive, powerful invasion force on its borders and and already having spent um, years, you know, annexing parts and invading other parts of Ukraine. And so we arrive here at this moment with them needing an alliance willing to defend them. And the exact opposite of what you essentially lay at NATO and the West and the United States' feet, the exact opposite of that being the reality and namely that the West arrives in late February 2022, afraid to wrap their arms around Ukraine and protect it the way they would a NATO member state. And so I just think that, you know, I don't know whether you're a Russian troll. I know there's an awful lot of them. And I know some of them are skilled at sounding like they're not Russian trolls. But what I do know is that there's someone who might hear you and think like, Maybe you know what you're talking about. Maybe the U.S. is, you know, it's real easy to hate the U.S., right? Like there's, we, we've made a lot of mistakes. And so I just think that somebody needs to stand up and say in a courteous way, you're wrong. The premise of your question wrong. The things you assume at the outset build into the question and then hope that everyone kind of takes for granted as they attempt to answer it. That's all wrong, man. It's all wrong. Like, the reality is that NATO is a defensive alliance that allows its member states to exist with a little bit more security than non-member states, knowing that there's a powerful military alliance to defend them if they are invaded. And Ukraine is not a member. And it really would have been nice for Ukrainians if they had been a member because Russia probably wouldn't have invaded and started committing a genocide. Maybe not. Awfully seem to be awfully bloodthirsty over there in Russia, but probably not. So, like I said, I, I don't know if you were malicious or if you happen to be one of those people who, you know, look, it's hard to kind of figure out the truth on the internet. Malicious.
1: Well, well yeah,
10: but maybe I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt because that's a good, that's a good. MO, right? Give folks the benefit of the doubt unless they prove you prove elsewise. So yeah, my no general word. impression is that there's probably
5: folks like
11: You need to have somebody who has a a good, solid skill set in 3D modeling to create the files that you then put into the 3D printer that poops out the thing that you want. Uh, The big advantage is is you can get a very fast um, design and verification cycle uh, much faster than you can in traditional manufacturing. And the other uh, thing to note is that... um, yeah, the two two biggest three um, D printing uh, technologies that are out there is actually uh, added filament um, uh, printing and resin printing. And with the filament printing, you're not you don't get the high resolution that you get with the resin printing, but you get a part that you can actually use a physical part that can actually be used. Um, in a situation like the Ukrainians have been using on these drones and that's really all I wanted to add. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thanks
1: so much for that. Uh, show, we you had your hand up and flashman.
2: Yep. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, I'll add a few words to 3D printing and go to uh, a bit of history. So I didn't hear a lot of, you know, words about using of 3D printing technology in Ukraine, but drones save a lot of lives. And I, I guess Ukraine relies more on uh, importing than on uh, 3D printing by themselves. Uh, maybe there are a few uh maybe maybe hundreds even but it's it's still a little uh 100 uh, like uh use cases uh to uh, 3d print some some parts maybe some custom things to customize uh the drones uh also about the drones uh we are thankful to uh turkey uh because their drone by Raktar, uh destroyed a lot of like uh supply columns uh artillery uh even tanks it's a very capable drone and it uh gave a lot of um, privilege uh like on the battlefield uh, it's not privilege all right you get me uh and about the history uh the uh global uh like the very global uh aim of uh russia uh is to uh um how it's called like uh the the history of ukraine become uh, uh to, to have the legacy, like the Kiev Rus, uh, to have their roots, uh, because Moscow uh, was mainly swamps when in Kiev we we had already universities. Uh, and uh, Russia and Soviet Union before, they rewrote history uh, to reclaim like our legacy to them. Uh, and there won't be... Uh, are winning by just calling peace, because the main aim of uh, Ukrainian right now is to uh, bring back territory. Uh, I have read the news today uh, that uh, we have defeated like forty or forty something percent of Russian army, and that's that's why they're just uh, stalled now and they are halt. Um, they. Uh, regrouped a lot of their forces that are left on uh, Donbass like on the uh, south of Ukraine Uh, and the question I want to ask I'll be quick uh, what do you think will happen if Russia uh, uses like chemical weapons or tactical nukes what would be the uh, um Decisions made in uh, NATO members and in uh, like other countries, maybe maybe even China. What would happen? Sorry, okay, go ahead. Uh, who wants
1: to take that there, Jacob? Sure.
10: Thanks. So I think it's well. Um, I'm not <clears throat> an sure. expert. I'm oh, sorry, sure. I'm I'm not a I'm not an expert on a lot of the parts of your question Um, but when you asked what would happen if russia used a chemical weapon or a nuclear weapon i had so many strong impulses to point out some predictions i think we can make given how we've seen russia's forces operate since this invasion began so for example we know that if there's a nuclear attack Let's say when folks say a tactical nuclear weapon, they mean something smaller that used within Ukraine, uh, maybe not in a city, maybe in the battle space somewhere. So we know that like, if that happens, there's going to be some fallout, right? So a, a radioactive zone that, that can cause acute radiation poisoning. And what we know is that Russia kind of ordered a whole bunch of its uh, like um, conscripts to go hang out around Chernobyl and dig trenches in radioactive um, uh, soil. And there were even some reports, although I don't know if this was walked back, that they entered the sarcophagus in Chernobyl. So if if we know that they've already kind of, like, acted irresponsibly and to their own self-detriment in one radiation zone, like, if you add another one to this, I mean, obviously there's the horrendous consequences of the attack itself. But we're talking hypothetically, and so I think that the important thing to point out here is that I would guess that Russia would again blunder and that they would be attacking, you know, not just Ukrainians, but also their own soldiers who are then going to be confused and not know where this is and wander in and out of it and end up dying. So that's number one. Now, as far as chemical attacks, um, I think there have been reports that Russia has launched attacks on ammonia storage and on other chemical storage already. And uh, I don't know whether those have been walked back. I didn't hear any of those walkbacks. Maybe is more familiar and can point out whether um, uh, these actually happened or didn't happen. But um, to my eye, that's really a chemical attack, right? So like if you attack a facility storing these chemicals and they kind of pour out into areas where folks live or are, I mean, you're, you're essentially conducting a chemical attack. And one of the things that I've heard some of the subject matter experts here talk about is that throughout history, chemical attacks are not not especially effective, even when they've been used, because they tend to disperse. Um, they don't always go where you expect they're going to go. Um, the, the fairly high concentrations that can be needed to cause uh, uh,